and welcome to the second half of the 90s horror film Mega Draft. Uh, I'm your co-host, Brentley Palmer, joined as always by my other co-host, Mr. Nicholas Schwartz. And of course, rejoining us for the second half uh, of the draft, uh, Murph and Greg from the uh, weekly podcast, Massacre, a fantastic podcast that you all should be listening to and checking out. Uh, they're here to finish up this uh, 10-rounder with us to do dra- uh, round 6 through 10. Uh, but before we get into that, let me just recap for everybody what happened in the first episode. So, uh, Greg, in the first round, had taken Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. He then took Bram Stoker's Dracula in the second, Barton Fink in the third, Army of Darkness in the fourth, and Cemetery Man, a.k.a. A Delamorte Delamore in the fifth round. Uh, Murph took the Blair Witch Project in the first, seven in the second, from Dust Till Dawn in the third, Child's Play 2 in the fourth, and then Gremlins 2, the new batch in the fifth. Uh, Nick had taken Silence of the Lambs in the first, Misery in the second, Dead Alive in the third, The Faculty in the fourth, and The Frighteners in the fifth round. I took Scream in the first round, Tremors in the second, Idle Hands in the third, Halloween H2O in the fourth, and Bride of Chucky in the fifth. Without any further ado, we're going to leap right into the sixth round where Greg will be starting us off. So, Greg, what is the first selection of the sixth round? Okay, um, to kind of pair with, uh, you know, the la- my last pick, Cemetery Man, which I mentioned to be very nihilistic and, like, you know, uh, uh, angsty, I'm going to go something that is just as angsty and nihilistic but with a completely different outcome and i'm gonna pick uh tim burton's mars attacks nice uh for my oh. for the beginning of the sixth round uh this is one where i um kind of like weirdly don't think of it a lot when i think of like burton's wider filmography for some reason it, it stands out even in he's done some stuff that's even way more outside of his style but there's something about the way that this is so like uh, the energy it has is so unlike Burton typically does. Like he always has a sense of whimsy to his movies, but this is not whimsical at all. This is cynical and like in your face and abrasive to a really fun degree. A lot like Gremlins too. It's, it really amps up the cartoon, cartoony nature of its villains, but they still manage to be effective villains. Uh, this is another one where I saw this incredibly young. Um, and like i again will never forget some of the images of this movie like not really being a horror fan as a kid not being into the genre but you see a golden retriever like shot with an alien ray gun and reduced to skeleton and like my family we had two great golden retrievers so this obviously this had an impact on me uh and it really like you know uh it really shocked me at the time and i still think this like it's great that tim burton i think maybe that's it it's got this this you know edginess to it that burton doesn't typically have even if it is just like beavis and butthead level edge uh in its jokes and the mannerisms of like the the aliens but it's something i I talked about a lot already in the first uh episode but i love directors using with the resources of the modern day to update old genres and styles that they love and adore and tim burton's love for atomic age horror really comes through uh, and the performances and the casting and the look of the aliens, the design, their design is spectacular. Um, it's early CG that like 
it, it definitely stands out today as early CG, but for the most part with the movie, it still really works. It, to look at the aliens, it, it does make them so otherworldly. Being as comedic and, as like, it is, they were Upsetting, yes. Uh, I, yeah, totally. If they had wanted us to be like, take the aliens seriously, then it would maybe would be a problem, but because they're, you know, largely a joke that like, yeah, it, it works for them. I was so close to throwing down that commish card and and really giving it to you <laughs> that that this is a science fiction movie until i yeah. i thought about the the plot with pierce brosnan and sarah jessica parker being that's what i'm saying the imagery headless, of this movie headless it, it and has then some she, heavy stuff is is it her that is then put on the chihuahua body yes oh my gosh i forgot oh, about yes. that it's, and the chihuahua is, is put on mm-hmm. head is put on her body that is so yeah. upsetting there there's also really good uh the image of when martin short brings the alien as a prostitute into the white house there's, it, yeah played by lisa marie yeah, yeah but there's a part like her face comes undone or or something like that and it really is a striking uh horrific yeah. image Oh, absolutely! I know. I, I, I it, it's playing in that horror camp a lot with a lot of its like kills. I mean, you see people shot, and I mean, it's it's goofy, but they are turned into either green or orange skeletons, and some of them are major stars or upcoming major stars. Jack Black's like, Jack like Black the first one, Jack right? Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, like, and then Jack Nicholson in two roles, getting killed twice in a movie. I mean, that's the other thing, too, to talk about. Like, I think Nick may have mentioned it with Misery, but these bigger name actors getting into horror films, into studio-backed horror films. Uh, and so this one is one of the craziest examples. Uh, Jack Nicholson in a dual role. And, like, you know, Danny DeVito, Sarah Jessica Parker, just, like, upcoming stars like, you know, uh, like Jack Black, like I mentioned, and Christina Ricci. Like, it really does have a eclectic cast but also diving deep isn't like pam greer is in this correct pam greer is, is like as is great in right it, yeah. before jackie brown or like right around it's it's before that sure yeah, yeah. it's like um it, yeah it's it is such an and she plays a pretty good character in that meanwhile danny devito plays a character named rude gambler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's such a small role and it's filled out by just one of the biggest names in movies at that time and like uh tom jones has an extended role in it like it, it's it's wild it's such a crazy thing a lot like gremlins 2 which i'm shocked that they're able to get away with this stuff in the film and it was like this weird but still commercially well, actually i think it kind of did not great compared to independence day but the fact that it was like well received mm-hmm. being you know out, as outlandish as it is and it has a wonderful like satirical look at at the world and politics and like uh it's it's just like it's just fun it's a, i find it to be a great release if you just want to watch like politicians like stick their foots in their mouths and get what's theirs like then you watch mars attacks it's like angry about <laughs> about like establishments and loves to what you know, show you them get blown up and torn down uh, and it has a blast doing it and it's like it's gory like i mean it's got lots of alien heads exploding into green goo inside their helmets and like it's uh yeah it's a really good time so mars attacks for sure it goes along too with what i was saying about just 90s maximalism like you know the reins are off and like they have computer effects to accomplish crazy things and they have these big big stars and budgets willing to play ball and like 
yeah, this is this is one of the results. I think it's a, a great film. Yeah. Nice, excellent pick. Uh Murph, you're up with your sixth round selection. Well, I'm I'm gonna start tapping into my reserve because only one of mine's been taken, but man, Firewalk with me oh, would have wow. been would have been one of the picks so far. Uh, I, I'm honestly thinking a lot of these other ones might be safe. So I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to say from August, 1990, I think this is not a director's first film, but his first breakout and has probably one of the most, uh, well-known twists of all time. M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense. Uh, we we got a ghost story uh, with Bruce Willis not knowing he's dead. And it's it's <laughs> done so well that when you rewatch it, it has a lot of chilling moments. A lot of, you know, like the re- color red comes in. Uh, I do also love how it is a core bit in Fifty First Dates. That they are continuously rewatching the Sixth Sense because she <laughs> does not remember watching it. I haven't seen that in time. forever. I didn't even remember that that was a part of the uh, <laughs> the bit in Fifty First Dates that they rewatched that. It's That's a great. birthday present, and so like they get it every day, and then yeah, they're like oh, we should watch it tonight. <laughs> and Sean Astin's just like, great, we're gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah the sixth Sense is is really fantastic it's it's one of those rare films where once you know the twist it actually makes re-watching it even more interesting and compelling because you're seeing how the events could be uh construed in another way once you have more information it, right and it makes a lot of sense it doesn't break the film it actually makes a lot of sense and really provides a lot more insight which is uh, a really difficult thing it says to do a lot about perception and it really is something yes. that you are starting to question. Uh, what can reality be? And it like, one of the greatest child performances of all time. Uh, Tony Coletti is mm-hmm. also just phenomenal as the mom. Uh, you got Donnie Wahlberg yep. in one scene that is just yeah. <laughs> out there. <laughs> Uh, also, like some really horrific moments of him experiencing the dead people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's he's in the school, and you just see the people hanging in the background. Mm-hmm. You have the little girl who's being uh, Munchausen by proxy, poisoned by her stepmother, yeah. who's vomiting. Yeah, uh, just a lot of really great moments and touches. He is, I, I think he's become one of the more divisive filmmakers of of the past 20 years. And that a lot of people are now like, well, something's either really good or really bad. And, you know, he has one thing that he continuously kind of keeps coming back on, which is a twist. And it's not always uh, paying off, but this one always pays off. That's because, it's, I think it's yeah. because... Unlike a lot of movies, his, uh, I mean, he became kind of a self-parody for a while. And I think he's, not that he's a bad filmmaker by any means, but I think that was 
you know, like his name became a logo literally. And then, <clears throat> and then, uh, but anyway, I think that a lot of movies that kind of rely on a twist, this movie is known for a twist. It's going to be famous for the twist forever. I think that those things cannot be separated, but what separates this from so many other movies like that really hinge on a twist is that this is a freaking great movie without the twist. Like if there was no twist ending, I would still love this movie. It's great. Performances are amazing. It's genuinely chilling. It's one of the cre- like it's was surprisingly creepy. Um, yeah, it's just a, and it's, it's like so a well made too of of like what an emotional actor Bruce Willis can be too, and like his yeah. depth of mm-hmm. range. I feel like he had not had a role this like sincere in a long time. Like obviously he's had he had a lot of big roles in the '90s, but like the character he's playing here is so genuinely like you know. Uh, portrayed as somebody who is like in this literally in this purgatory right <laughs> like uh and but the place in his life he's in like his relationship with his wife like it all makes like a really fascinatingly like ca- you know fascinating character that like that bruce plays with like he's, he's so reserved uh for you know for what bruce willis can do and like what his image was i think at that time that's and true it, yeah especially at that time it it has just a, another layer of it of thinking about i mean you you always go back and think about uh the scenes with bruce willis and like interacting with his wife or anybody but the idea that Haley joel osmond is communicating with bruce willis like he's found a ghost who in life was a psychiatrist and is yeah. actively like trying to help him with the problem that he is also a part of. That's true. He is haunting <laughs> this kid and trying to teach this kid how it's okay or like, you know, to get over being haunted by things. It's it, it's a lot of a lot of great layers and performances. Scores fantastic. It really just hits it out of the park. Yeah, wonderful selection. Uh, Nick, you are up here with your sixth round pick, sir. Uh, Wow. Um, I feel like I've I've picked this before on this podcast, so I almost don't want to, but uh, if I'm drafting from my heart, I'm going to go with um, In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. I, I know it's not considered one of his you know his better movies but i will always have a soft spot for that movie um i think it's just i think it's a great sort of homage to lovecraftian horror but i think that the effects work in that movie is phenomenal because there a lot of the effects are like understated and and used like just the right there's a great shot when they're running down that weird hallway with like the reflective floor and there's like a whole wall like a literal wall of creatures behind them covering the entire tube thing from like left to right and um i think was it sam neill like runs by camera in this close-up and the camera like rack focuses back to the wall for a split second before cutting to the next shot so it's like not long enough where you can really scrutinize the effects work and and it's incredibly effective um yeah i don't know i i don't think john carpenter is necessarily like he he makes great use of like anamorphic frames and stuff but i never think of john carpenter as like Mm -hmm. he's a great filmmaker and i think his movies are good looking but i never 
think of him as like a particularly flashy filmmaker by any means. Um, and I think that perfectly suits this type of a movie because it could have so it typically easily has like a has something grungy about the way his movies look yes. or feel. Oh, that's a great yeah. way to put it. Yeah, that's exactly how. That's right. That's exactly right. I think. Um, yeah, it's it's not flashy, but it is impressive and like. You know, it's it's striving for something usually, and and shows you things that you're not uh, expecting or you haven't really seen done as well in the past. I, I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. I've been thinking I need to revisit it because I only saw it the I, once. Yeah, the same thing. Um, I saw it the once, and I I really liked it. There's there's so many really fascinating aspects of it, and it's got this really 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 good look and and vibe and like yeah to say nothing of the score i mean like the score oh, yeah. is absolutely incredible but my biggest takeaway from watching it was that i so desperately need to read a sutter kane book <laughs> like i i wish more than anything that those were real yeah. that somehow those existed and i could read one of those novels because i'm such a pulp like horror novel guy uh that this like i love the aspect that that that's what this movie is kind of based around is like a paperback story that comes true that like (laughs) is real uh it's such a fun idea for a movie and it's like i i am a massive sam neill fan i think he's a really like fascinating actor who does the really cool stuff with with the the role i think there's there's a lot going on in the movie at a certain point and a lot of like I mean, it's Lovecraftian in the way that it does feel like there's something much greater going on that you don't understand or get. And I think on a first watch, that stuff can be somewhat overwhelming or confusing. And I think a second watch, I'm going to probably key into it more and enjoy it more. But I I do love this pick. I think, like, Carpenter's 90s movies get written off very easily. Yep. But uh, this is mm-hmm. one that, like, hey, despite my qualms with it, like, it, it is, like, a John Carpenter film, and it is so much fun to watch and experience and it has that carpenter feel to it um and the incredible score so yeah this is a really good pick no oh, thank you yeah um yeah great choice it always has a special place in my heart because that, that's another picture, part so. of it to be honest that just adds to it <laughs> that'll do it yeah 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 we don't we don't get a lot of yeah. stuff set here so of course it's like new hampshire in this movie is just like the entire state's in the middle of nowhere and it's just full of horrifying people <laughs> yeah but of course still, yeah, yeah yeah you get a little bit more out of it i think i'm waiting for the movie that Absolutely. takes place in old hampshire <laughs> oh yeah. yes yes uh all right nick so uh that was your sixth round selection so i have my sixth round pick and then the uh first pick of the seventh round um and now we're getting to, you know, where you look at your list and you're like, I only have this many more to go. So what do I want to take and, and how when should I take it? Um, uh, yeah, so I am going to take a comic book mm. movie. But a comic book movie that's also a horror film wow. with a bunch of vampires in it. That I think is also one of the best comic book movies ever made. Uh, long before the MCU was established, another Marvel character by the name of Blade came around uh, in, I 98. believe, 98 it was. Yep. Maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm getting the year wrong. But uh, 
I rewatched this again. Our our friends and former guests, Steve Parkhurst and Oriana Schwent, have a podcast called Mission Recall, where they look back at 90s uh, action movies, and they did one on Blade, which got me to rewatch it, and was just like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. This is fantastic. And I remember seeing this in the theaters, and like, of course, as like a 13-year-old kid, you're just like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, but, you know, when you go back and revisit things often as an adult, you're like, oh, no, I was 13 when I watched that, and that's why it was great. But no, this really was like a fantastic movie, and I think there's a lot of great horror elements to it. Obviously, there's vampires in it, um, but, you know, it's a great, like kind of action horror movie essentially an r-rated comic book movie which um, we've gotten a couple of those in more recent years uh, with things like like deadpool and stuff but that you really wouldn't have you know this was kind of like a early purveyor of that i guess um you know long before those came around and um it's just fun and i and i love it and that's why i'm taking blade uh, with my sixth round pick awesome choice i was on my list and and blade is the reason that i think we have comic book movies now um oh absolutely blade being a success. uh it yeah that and excuse X-Men. me howard the duck would like a word <laughs> yeah okay i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's my marvel that's my favorite marvel film right. yeah <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, Brentley, you, you hit it. it. It's it's so good. It's so stylish. Uh, Wesley Snipes mm-hmm. is an amazing asshole. Every time that he is able to <laughs> yeah. sink down to that level, uh, it it like pulls it off amazingly. Uh, I can't believe you didn't even mm-hmm. mention Chris Christopherson in. Such oh, a yeah. good role yeah. for him. Incredible. Yeah. He is yeah. so good <laughs> in as Whistler. Yep. Uh, I, you know, mm-hmm. St- Stephen Dorff, the Dorfman. Like yep. it's got Donald Logue. Great supporting role by Donald yeah. Logue. Yep. Uh, it's it's uh, quite just the fact that it's able to take like uh, I think why it really 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 works as a comic book movie is that it's able to like. Uh, take that source material and bring it to live action in a really fascinating way. Like the fact that they're able to nail Blade's mm. look, like his just his costume yeah. is impeccably cool. And there has never, almost mm-hmm. never been a cooler, like a better translation of like costume from the comic to the screen while maintaining all of its integrity and impact. Like he looks like a mm-hmm. badass. Uh, and yeah. like it is just, yeah, it, it manages to capture like the fun spirit of a comic book with how crazy it is too. Uh, and mm-hmm. ideas like the blood rave, which is just like, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, yeah. And it uses, what, it uses fired thing. Music yeah. perfectly. Like it's got such a great soundtrack mm-hmm. to like pump you up and like you're, you're okay. Oh, I mean, that's the other thing. With the too, guy just the the fact that it's sword, chopping up vampires. Yeah, it's cap. It's, it's capitalizing, uh, capitalizing on a look like an aesthetic that was popular that like, the matrix then made amazing extra popular but it's kind of it got its foot in the door before that into like that kind of scene and it uses like like it had like a precursor to bullet time you know like before absolutely yeah was used in the trailers for that movie a lot Mm -hmm. and it yeah it came out months before the matrix did uh it's also got one of the greatest lines of all time like motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill (laughs) (laughs) yeah just a great thing a great thing outside of that film just a wonderful sentence yeah, it's just a great string of words. If I remember the story us. correctly, it was something that Wesley Snipes just said, like, on set, and the director was like, oh, we should use that. 
yeah i uh, as another i have to check out that 90s action podcast because i love 90s action films and a big reason is that like i love wesley snipes and i think he made a lot of amazing action movies in the 90s and yeah blade is certainly one of his best movies uh yes i'm a big wesley snipes fan so like i i I adore blade what nice yeah, yeah, You're it's a big um, fan of his tax fraud. The podcast is called Mission right. Recall. Mission yeah. Recall. Oh, I love <laughs> love tax evaders. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, excellent. Uh, all right. Uh, so that's my sixth round pick. I get the back to back. Uh, we're going from the ultra cool, awesome uh style of Blade, and we're gonna go north of the border here. We're going into Canada. And uh, it's a little horror movie called uh, man, Cube. I mean, great pick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my next pick. I had a feeling you might have that sort of... <laughs> yeah. re- it was your next one? Oh, no, I'm sorry, be. Nick. I don't I don't mean to have stolen no, it from great, you like that. Timing. But uh, Cube is a, a super awesome, low-budget movie that has uh, was very successful and, and spawned a number of sequels, but... Um, also, I feel like is very influential um, in terms of like the yep. Saw films that came after it, and you know the Escape Room movies that have come since then. Even um, you know there, there's a lot of talk of the um, torture porn elements in the early 2000s, but this in like the mid late 90s kind of sort of had that same element as well. You know, if you fuck up and enter the wrong room you're gonna get like you know whatever it was like acid sprayed in your face or you know whatever it was um uh and anyway it it was just like for the limited budget that it had it really pulled off um making it very believable that they're in this massive cube with all these other cubes inside it because I believe they only have essentially a they one just cube that they just and, refitted yeah. over and over and over it does again so much yeah so yeah exactly exactly and so i mean for that reason alone it's like really high in uh my esteem but like it also just has really good characters uh especially the 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 main actress uh, who i apologize i'm blanking on her name um and the character uh who you really are rooting for and pulling for all the way through uh and and hoping that she like makes it through so yeah, I don't know exactly what else more to add to it. So please, anybody else, jump in on Cube right now uh, if you'd like to add just, anything. I will just say that, like another example of um, a great use of of maybe limited resources. You have um, great art direction mm-hmm. and just like a stellar idea, um, and that's really all you need to carry a movie um, if it's executed well. And I think Cube is just. A great idea. Yeah. And, I mean, well, actually, Cube 2, Hypercube, is a great example of having more resources and being, like, one of the shittiest films of all time. It's just... <laughs> but one of the best titles. One of the best yeah. titles. And, yeah. I mean, it's worth... Oh, God, it's worth watching just for the effects work alone. It is so bad. And then, like, going back, and I, I actually really liked Cube Zero, which I think is the most recent... Last and most recent one, um, which was, like, a prequel. Um, it wasn't yeah. as good as the first one, but it was... It, was, it went... Yeah, was more grounded than cube two hypercube was and i think um i don't know why i'm talking about the sequels we're, we're talking about the first one it's, but um it's it's a, gr- this no, is a movie no, that they've fine. been trying to remake i don't think i've seen any of them years. yeah 
and like i don't know what you're gonna get from a remake mm-hmm. because like it's one of those things where like more resources is not going to make this movie any better than it was because it's such and a I simple premise that that it's the simple premise but that it's a good ensemble picture and that it's all about the actual individuals that then you bring into uh this situation which i think the first saw captured perfectly and all of the subsequents have just like fucking failed miserably is you get this you get a doctor and then you get the like a sleazy uh tabloid photographer like investigator guy and these are good characters that then you are like confining into a room and from what i remember of cube it's like that you have all of the differing personalities that merge well together that it's not always them versus the cube but them versus each other inside of the cube Mm -hmm. yeah right yep absolutely all right well that was my seventh round pick nick you're up with your seventh round selection great pick and now i'm gonna scramble for something here (laughs) um no don't i'm sorry again this is this is good this is good i'm gonna pick um i'm gonna pick new nightmare west craven's new nightmare for my next pick um okay i you know it's it's you can draw a direct line from that to scream in so many ways um and i think i'm sure new nightmare is the lesser movie when you really if you were to compare them but they're so different um it's like a similar meta premise but done in a different way and i will say scream being like you know a revelation you know and and being the the what became a franchise but it was a first very original movie Wes craven with new nightmare was really like scream reinvented like the slasher genre and new nightmare reinvented you know that series um and it's not one of my favorite series by any means um you know i think it's like mm. more or less it's not really bookended because it kept going but like west craven bookended it with two really great films and i think new nightmare is like an example of you know a filmmaker who had left the series for a long time and like basically waited until there was an idea good enough to warrant a new sequel and and then executed it really really well um, and it has its flaws, but, uh, I think the idea carries it through. Um, and it's just so much fun. I will, I will always love new nightmare and I will always defend it. I don't, not that it was particularly poorly received, but I know like scream always gets mentioned first, but new nightmare for me is the, the one I remember the most for some reason. I do need to revisit well, yeah. it. Uh... Freddy's my guy, and it is it is such a striking, great look for the updated version. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, it, you get Wes Craven as Wes Craven. It's so <laughs> meta, also just about Hollywood, mm-hmm. and 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 really about storytelling. That's another thing that I don't think a lot of the other meta movies get into as much about the actual you know, lore and the magic of, of storytelling. Sometimes they're usually obsessed about the, the medium of movies and violence within it. Right. Or like the Hollywood process. Yeah. 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 Things like that. 
but this is like even beyond that this is like the the purpose of horror in the first place is like what this is talking about yeah i was gonna say uh, sorry nick but you might have to get defending right away because like i i rewatched this the other day and the first time i saw it i came away with a very very high opinion i loved the concept and i thought that it was really well executed but then like i don't know on a rewatch the other day like something while i was watching it like sort of like was lost from it once you know the premise and like how everything turns i don't know uh i i really really appreciate heather langenkamp's performance yeah. though um uh, i think she uh, it's like the she's you know had was a returning veteran but like really brought her all to this and made it the best like t- you know performance of the bunch she's not exactly even playing the same character it's it's right it's really fascinating like i almost called her nancy but she's explicitly not playing nancy <laughs> right <laughs> in this film uh so there's a lot for me to like about it i think um like a lot of people like i i sometimes have trouble with child actors and this is like a child actor performance i think like waivers at some point is is effective for the most part but when so much of the movie is about like this child's you know and the, his medical issues we know are being caused by freddie when it's like just characters trying to figure that out as opposed to i i think i'm also a big fan of the franchise and i think this one to me was on the last watch a little bit missing in it's like dream sequences Mm. and like the bombacity those used to have until the ending i would say i love the ending it does have a great think that the finale doesn't live up but like i think that it's the best most energetic part of the film and is like a really interesting like place for that story to go um I just, I just think, yeah. So I didn't mean to shit all over you. Didn't at all over your pick. <laughs> that was hardly. Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> no, that's 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 what this is all about. Um, and I will say, it's been a while since I saw it. I, if I revisited it now, I might have the exact same opinion. I don't know. It's been yeah. it's been a while, but it also could have been my my mood. Maybe I was you know a bit more distracted the other morning or something. But like, uh, yeah, it didn't quite land the same. I think the first time I saw it was in I was marathoning all the the Friday films a while back and like. It, watching that right after Freddy's dead <laughs> is such a refresher. So maybe that's why I loved it so much the first time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... Uh, it's just like it, it is. It is a dramatic improvement over that film. Yeah, that's true. that's a good point. That would do it. Um, yeah. Excellent. Sorry, that's that's all I got on that. No, no, you're good. Uh, no, that's a great pick, and uh, Murph. You're up with your seventh round selection. All right, selection. so some people may say uh, the sixth synth is Bruce, Bruce Willis's best performance. I'm going to counteract that with what I think is his best performance. We're going to go back to July 1992. Robert Zemeckis did a little gym called Death Becomes Her, where Bruce Willis plays a fucking loser. And it solidifies my theory about <laughs> how Bruce Willis uh, succeeds when he plays complete, uh, unredeemable losers. Like, he does so... Just, like, low-status yeah. type of guys. Because, uh, yeah. you know, John McClane, he's a loser. His wife is leaving him. Uh, he's just... <laughs> he's not really good. Especially in Die Hard 3, you know, with The Vengeance. He's hungover. He's just been, you know, spending his days watching Captain Kangaroo. But this movie uh, really strikes at the ideal of immortality 
and how frightening it really is of of not dying and the idea that you can uh put things off that if you're never going to die you don't really have to live uh to an extent because at the end of the movie bruce willis basically knows that immortality is possible but he decides to live his life instead we have magnificent performances goldie hahn meryl streep obviously isabella rossellini is just so sexy in this movie (laughs) uh there's a lot of real fun comedy there's a james dean cameo that he's he secretly took this potion and is still alive in secret circles of rich famous celebrities uh a lot of fantastic effects especially uh uh when meryl streep like throws a spear through goldie hahn and she first goes yes and then realizes that she fucked up and goes no and goldie hahn eventually sits down on the couch and the the spear goes through her it's it's uh it's bizarre and it's my cup of tea yeah and uh i think it's it's interesting as like an early example of a lot of like interesting uses of cg as well like it it plays around with that but it does it in ways that like it is mixing with like practical effects and state-of-the-art like stuff in front of the camera that like ends up being a really interesting blend of things uh yeah i i I think you're right and it's like it's a good like morality tale about wanting to live forever or stay youthful like and that kind of is what lends it it's like horror vibe this is i think this is the one i could challenge the i have the most grounds to challenge but i won't because i think you're correct and that like it does a good job of exploring this idea and like uh talking about these themes of of aging and you know wanting eternal youth or eternal life or whatever it's it's uh yeah it's an interesting I, movie it has zombies in it greg it, that's true absolutely 100 has zombies in it yeah so <laughs> great point great pick uh let's see so greg you have the final pick of the seventh round and then the back-to-back into the eighth round all right i am um yeah so i i'm very happy at the beginning of uh this of the first episode you talked about how (laughs) a certain movie was eligible because it completely slipped my mind as a 90s movie but now that i (laughs) knew this Uh. i knew i had to slot it in so (laughs) i'm gonna pick a henry portrait of a serial killer from 1990 released in 1990 so uh, a part of 90s horror uh, I was very happy to hear that. It's like, okay, why well, I got to figure this out now. <laughs> this is where exactly will this <laughs> land? Um, yeah. Th- so uh, this this is a movie that like has uh, a really infamous reputation as an intense, like upsetting horror film, and for really really good reason. Like it's still just as effective uh, as when it came out. I imagine like it is um, really striking in its portrayal of like serial killers and the type of people uh we see in the film and the way that it's all shot and put together in a very uh grounded matter-of-fact way um it is absolutely bone chilling when combined with just an all-time spectacular performance from michael rooker as the titular henry uh it, 
it's not exactly like i mean it's nowhere near true to life which i think is also something interesting about it because if you look into like who it's based on henry v lucas the serial killer he was a guy that uh, is now infamous for having confessed to a, a lot of murders he did not actually commit like he was always claiming new victims even though we have you know there was zero proof it was him and sometimes lots of proof it was not him but he is somebody mm-hmm. that seemed to have and he seemed to sometimes genuinely believe he the, these stories he was telling. Other ones may have been given under like some coercion <laughs> by by like uh, by law enforcement to close certain cases. It's not exactly clear, but I think the movie, by the way it's it's put together and the way that it's portrayed by um, by uh, Michael Rooker, like it sort of fits that type of person who does not know who or what they are, where they came from. Cannot It's starting to forget all the... has done so many horrible things that he's starting to forget them. Uh, there's a great runner throughout mm-hmm. the movie about his... The, he keeps mentioning how he killed his mother, and the story of how he killed his mother is in flux. Like, something that to a normal person would be a detail you never forget, like how you killed your mother, and yet he is starting to have that part of himself slip away. He does not remember that already. Because he's gone on to do many more horrible things that we see documented in this movie. It's got a great supporting performance too by Tom Towles. Uh, I think is how you say his name as Otis, his like uh, his uh, collaborator on a lot of these murders, and that is another just bone chilling performance for a different reason. Where like Henry is even with all the awful things you see him do in the film, he ends remains a semi sympathetic character because you still recognize him despite these inhuman things as human that's part of like what's so great about michael rooker but his partner otis is kind of just like a really scummy sleazy straight up evil like creature like just this absolutely yeah (laughs) and he he is an awful disgusting person somehow at times worse than than our serial killer michael rooker uh, so it, it's a it's an interesting film. It's it's very, in addition to being like just graphic and what it is showing, it is like emotionally raw as well and very sad, which I think it makes it a really hard watch. But it's a fascinating movie mm-hmm. and like kind of uh, entering like the true crime film, a serial killer like character study. Uh, yeah, so very upsetting but an extremely effective horror movie. Um, with again its own meta aspects to it too there's like one of the more infamous scenes is uh that the two killers make a videotape of a home invasion they do and we experience it through the videotape as they're sitting on the couch watching their own handiwork and sort of that question like what type of person (laughs) watches this trash while you sit there watching this trash you know like it's uh yeah it's a really uh a really fascinating movie that works on a lot of levels yeah, it's a great pick. I uh, I knew I took a risk <laughs> taking Cube in the seventh, and not that. So I only have myself to blame that I didn't get it. But <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> uh, but that's a excellent pick. Might be a front runner here for Steel of the Draft, but we'll see how these final rounds it's play out here. A movie um, you need a shower after you watch it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's it, you, it, you're placed yeah. right there in in this really hellish depiction of chicago um uh, and yeah hellish but again since it's it's 
based off real like there's a lot of realism in just the cruelty yes. that man has and it, it doesn't it doesn't shy away from it at all like it's literally within the first five minutes of the film you're watching you're looking at these like uh really well staged murders that henry has committed uh like right from the beginning you see a string of victims that he leaves behind and the way that they are the, the bodies are posed like the frankness in how it's all shot and displayed like it, uh it feels real to life like you're looking at actual crime footage like uh yeah <laughs> you, you said you need a shower immediately after watching it <laughs> yeah definitely uh great pick and you have the back-to-back sir you have the first pick of the eighth round okay uh i think i'm gonna go um the same i think i'm gonna go with with, oh boy all right this is one that i heard brought up uh i believe someone brought it up on the 80s draft as they wish this was eligible um i think uh Mm -hmm. i i believe it was it was one of the um five-day rentals uh, people who said it but i'm gonna go with castle freak from 1995 stuart gordon's oh. uh third lovecraft adaptation after reanimator and from beyond um and uh probably th- maybe the only direct-to-video <laughs> movie that's gonna be uh picked We're not, i'm not sure but um this was produced by we'll charles band's production company full moon um and so uh it is nowhere near a studio horror film and like kind of as a result like uh it's got this air of like um cheapness to it but somehow it it masks it by it takes place in a castle as the title suggests and it was shot on location in an actual italian castle and well next you're gonna tell me there's a freak in it (laughs) (laughs) oh is there a freak i'll discuss the i'm gonna talk about the freak um but yeah so that location adds a lot of like uh atmosphere and like uh like credit to this movie uh so it's 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 the quality of the print itself is not great but it manages to make up for it with like um it's got a really sick uh (laughs) the gore in it is is very 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 graphic and really upsetting in the way that it's done and way it's shot uh, however, unlike uh, what you know, what you would expect from a Stuart Gordon film, but unlike Reanimator or From Beyond, it's got a much more like sincere emotional story at the heart of it. Uh, it concerns um, uh, this guy, uh, Jeffrey Combs as John Riley, who uh, he has an estranged wife by Barbara Crampton. So you got some returning, you know, Stuart Gordon players uh, for the third time. And like they, uh, John inherits a castle from a distant relative in Italy who passes away, and uh, they come to learn that the Duchess, John's aunt who passed away, had a secret son that was being raised in the dungeon and tortured um, since he was five years old, and that is our freak. And so they move into this castle with along with their blind daughter who was blinded in an accident caused by (laughs) John that also killed his son. Uh, so like, you know, they move into this castle with their blind daughter and the freak gets loose and starts to, to learn about himself and, and the many wonders of life outside of the dungeon. Uh, so it's, it's got a really trashy setup to it. And with a name like Castle Freak, you expect like just uh, random nudity and like, you know, wanton violence and things like that. But it's much more like measured than that. 
and it has these elements like of sexuality but it's using them in a fascinating way with the character of the freak who is like a classically ugly movie monster but it's it's done the same way like i mean i've already talked about frankenstein you know type of movies but it's that type of character where it's somebody who did not ask to be this way and is forced into this sort of situation and they don't know how to interact with the outside world and because of their appearance like they're locked out of so many things we take for granted and the movie does a wonderful wonderful job of exploring the side of the creature um and staying true to the, like the idea behind like the H.P. Lovecraft story it's based on, which is called The Outsider, I think. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> I've I've gone on and on, but it's just it's a really well done movie, and I think well, that like Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton are both really really good actors, and they're kind of horror icons for a reason. And uh, Jeffrey Combs especially, he's playing his character is also an alcoholic, and there is mm. a scene of drunk acting in this film that is like one of the most like one of the biggest craziest decisions for a drunk actor but it really works because it's jeffrey combs and he is able to kind of like go really really big and like still you know have it be fun and entertaining and not like too much yeah it's a great pick it's um interestingly i i this was one i watched uh in preparation for this movie I, I for this draft and i'd never seen it before and i was really into it until we got to a certain part of the movie <laughs> where <clears throat> the freak abducts a certain yeah. person and then i felt like it did get pretty gratuitous in a way that made me kind of uncomfortable and grossed out right. and it was like Ugh. it goes to a disgusting yeah. place yeah absolutely but yeah um, yeah I, I feel like uh that scene in the movie i thought you know again it's too much and i can completely understand that reaction but what i appreciate about uh it's hard to say i appreciate anything about that scene because it's it's pretty wild but (laughs) i think like thematically it really works well for the character of the freak and the way that it's done Mm. Uh, because of his appearance he wears bandages on his face because uh, and this is the, the aspect the character work that i really love about this film but like that they establish like the creature is self-conscious about his own looks to a murderous degree. Mm. And it is like such a state, they really play up the tragedy of this character and his appearance. And in that scene, because the daughter is blind, he feels comfortable to take his bandages off. And as a character thing, I just really appreciate like that beat of the story, but the actual content mm. of the scene is gratuitous. It yeah. feels earned at that <laughs> moment. Right. Yeah. It's earned for the character, but I, I completely agree, Brantley. Like there is like that scene, I one hundred percent understand jumping off there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to be clear, I, I'm okay with him taking the bandages off with the daughter. I'm talking about the other woman that, that he. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Who? Who? I feel like. Who I felt like kind of got the brunt of like the well besides the freak himself like the torture and like the horrific aspects of the film but who like had in no way like deserved it in any way shape or form yeah Um, i think that the movie does something interesting that too though where they then it's not till after she's dead but they actually add more character to that to her as well and there's a whole subplot about her child that i think was like it's a really small addition but it goes uh, for me, it goes a long way in getting you to feel bad for her as well. I mean, like, I just do 
dying mm. like that is oh, gnarly like, yeah. and upsetting. <laughs> but like to actually connect yeah. to her somewhat emotionally, even just by saying like, you know, she's leaving behind a child, like there is more like mm-hmm. uh the movie's not uncaring about it, I feel like, and the way it handles her her yeah. her death. Gotcha. Excellent. But yeah, I know this film, it's one I knew of by reputation before finally watching it. And I feel like it's one that had I seen it when I was younger, it would have like a little bit of a stronger place in my heart. But, um, you know, watching it now, I I enjoyed it for the most part, uh, again, say for the thing, but that, um, you know, didn't score as high on my list, I think, uh, because of that. Uh, Murph. You're up with your eighth round picks. It's a a tough one. I'm trying to decide, uh, you know, head or heart. But I I think I'm going to have to go Mm. with one. I'm hoping that Greg doesn't try to uh, negate this choice. But what I'm going to go with is from November 1991. We got a Barry Sonnenfeld uh, lead movie. Uh... They're creepy and they're kooky. It's the Adams family. It wow, the first one. Yes, mm. uh, it is. That one is my favorite. I know a lot of people think that the second one is better, but I have such a, a soft spot for the first one, and the uh, you know uh, the whole plot of Uncle Fester losing his mind and memory when he went into the Bermuda Triangle. And he's he's coming back as this uh, guy trying to swindle them. It it really is carried so much by Raul Julia uh, as as Gomez. He he gives such a magnetic performance, and I I'm in love with with Gomez every time. The way that they shoot Angelica Houston and the light you know of her eyes. It, it's it's great. You got Christina Ricci as Wednesday, little fat Pugsley, yeah, and a wild like breakout role for yeah. Ricci. Yeah. The the hand, uh, it is it it or thing? It's thing. Uh, thing. thing yeah. yeah, with the same the same hand puppet from Idle Hands. Uh, yes, from Idle Hands. It, yeah, uh, it is just a, a just a creepy, wonderful effect that they pull off. You got Lurch as the butler. Just a wonderful uh, early horror film for children. Because it doesn't go too far into any like gore uh, you know, or real horrific imagery. But there's a lot of uh, indication or hinting towards that type of, of thing. It also has one of my favorite jokes of all time with they're doing the uh, vault combination 2 10 11 eyes fingers toes wonderful <laughs> that entire sequence and then yeah, the, the whole uh, like uh temple of doom mining cart uh roller yeah. coaster thing yeah yeah i i actually i did not watch that until recently but i i think you're you're right it fits into that like something like you know a nightmare before christmas something with light horror vibes or a light horror aesthetic that's not exactly you know that has more like 
I would say scary energy definitely but like it's that same type of thing where it's yeah it's good for kids but it's got its own it's different and it's somewhat living in that world um yeah i i, I watched this recently and i thought it was enjoyable i've not watched a sequel yet but i i more hear about that one but this one i thought was a just like straight down the plate like good for all ages family 90s like comedy with you know some gothic trappings I, and i and a gothic vent to it but it's a perfectly 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 enjoyable i thought yeah it was pretty i good. didn't even mention i mean uncle fester but christopher lloyd as uncle fester yeah. is such a transformative performance as well you really right and don't with a really it. weird take on it already with like this the fact that it's not exactly fester than it is and then it's just like a really bizarre decision for them to do that but yeah it gives him like weird weird things to do in the movie and then i'm just i'm a big barry sonnenfeld fan a movie i thought about possibly trying to argue it's horror but i don't think i would get away with it what was going to be men in black um, no. which is what i i love sonnenfeld yeah see i don't think i would have been able to convince uh i didn't think so that's way more sci-fi action yeah um but i i think he's he's a great stylist and like in the 90s especially he sort of weird, gets into I, a weird place later on yeah but like uh, <laughs> some of the edgar stuff uh, you you could argue it yeah is, i would i would say it's more horrific yeah 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 it definitely leans into horror uh in in those scenes it's been so long since i saw adam's family is the second one at camp like summer yeah. camp or something yes. like that is that okay yeah that's the one i remember for some reason i gotta revisit both yeah they they are two things i mean the way I, again i've not seen the second one yet but the way i always hear it described people who have are big fans of them always tell me like yeah i watched the first one then the second one in quick succession like they're like the thing you watch back to back and so i think a lot of people kind of blend them together the first one is like shockingly simple in its plot it's not mm -hmm. complex at all and again it's, it's so straightforward and like um you know uh it's also got a great dan hedaya performance i love dan hedaya uh i think he's a great actor and he gives a he's very very funny in that movie i have to revisit that it's worth it yeah yeah, excellent pick, and it sounds like it's getting the thumbs up from the oh, other yeah, commissioner, sure. and, yeah. and it's being allowed. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Uh, so, Nick, then you are up here in the eighth um, round. Okay, cool, yeah, eighth round, so, yeah, I think I can pick, I'll pick um, Ringu, the ring, the, the original. Um, uh. It's not my favorite film by any means but i feel like it's worthy of the list almost as like a proxy for all of the that era of like asian horror that it kind of um i think it opened a lot of doors for like um for asian films to be like released here um be more accessible uh in the united states for that i'm really thankful it also the double-edged sword brought on a ton of really shitty remakes that um i mean with the exception of the actual the ring remake which was very solid um so many of those movies got butchered when they were translated here <laughs> like the eye um it's a great movie that i'm terrified of um you know not all of them are that strong but um like 
One Miss Call, but A Tale of Two Sisters, another movie, not in the 90s, but I think that was like of that era that, that, you know, The Ring is really responsible for, for bringing here. Like, I don't think we would have seen a lot of those had The Ring not been such a success in yeah. Japan. Um, and I, I think too, its reputation is so, uh, for somebody who's, who's my age, who was again, very, very young when all of this was coming out and becoming popular. Like I still ha- I struggle with watching J horror sometimes because of just memories of like the reputation of these movies yeah. and like mm-hmm. uh, how, how like, you know, they seem to be gaining such traction here in the States was, was both to me as a kid, very exciting and horrifying um, that there's to see types of, of movies that, you know, we otherwise would never hear about, uh, but they just keep gaining traction. I think yeah, it opened the door for a lot to follow and helped filmmakers get a new kind of like source to pull from um you know uh yeah and to i love the fact that it's so integrated into technology like it's about you know what i mean it's it's like tackling modern day like folklore essentially and uh establishing something really fascinating and interesting and talking about video and all that stuff and a, a really creative uh, in a creative way which is interesting I think a lot of those movies actually wound up being about technology in like a weird way like One Missed Call yeah. and like Pulse um, which is like <laughs> I don't know why that is but now I'm like looking at it um, it's funny how many of those J-Horror movies actually really the- thematically were about <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one I didn't really see until the past couple years and I was a little I guess shocked because I always think like, oh, the original is gonna be so much better. I I think the American version like takes the <sighs> core story idea of it and does it better. It's it's I more cinematic, uh, but it like just coming up with that I, the original idea is is worth all of it. I I agree totally. Um, and I just have a soft spot for Naomi. So, <laughs> oh yeah, well Naomi Watts, yeah. No, I, I do. Oh, agree oh I just call her Naomi. I'm sorry, you I, you didn't. <laughs> you have to use the last name. Okay. <laughs> um. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, great pick. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm up with the back to back here from the eighth and the ninth round. Um, I've drafted a couple movies in this draft that I've drafted in previous ones, so why stop now? Why, 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 go ahead and draft some more. You've already drafted Brantley, and I'm going to take Ticks, uh, which was recently drafted in our uh, eco-horror draft uh, with the wonderful Matthew Chernoff, who came on uh, in that one. Um, uh, I love Ticks. This is the perfect, schlocky, silly, uh, ridiculous, over-the-top kind of horror movie that i love um and uh ticks are a brutal creature that are horrible already and yet you get to blow them up to these massive like size and they're just so gross but with great practical effects and uh it's fantastic and clint howard being a weed grower out in the middle of the woods using an Ooh, herbal steroid no that's more. getting into ticks in. yeah exactly <laughs> i am in on ticks now <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you more. I'll say Seth what? Green is also in it. Uh, what Carlton, is which is Alfonso. Uh, is it ninety three? Oh, I haven't seen ninety three. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I'm blanking on the name of the actor, but he played um, Lena Dunham's dad in Girls. He's also in it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's it's fun is the best way that I will describe it. And uh, it's a blast. If you, Especially if you like insect or bug okay. oh, or yeah. uh, I feel like this, this might come up again in the uh, upcoming episode. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just guessing. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I mean, I love... T- I mean, you heard me talk about it in eco-horror. I love ticks. Uh, it's fantastic. And uh, I will preach it to anybody who will listen. So if you guys haven't seen it, check yeah, out yeah, ticks. Yeah. It's great. Eco, I, I have not yet listened to that episode, but eco-horror is a subgenre I absolutely love, too. Those end up usually being really fun, oh, nice. crazy, bizarre movies. Um, this, yes. this sounds... The description this could be also for another movie I'd love called Slugs. Slice mm-hmm. is like a, a recent yeah. favorite of mine and so if it's anything it takes us like this night yeah i'm i'm all in yeah yeah no it's it's a it's a really fun movie and and uh i can't praise it enough so highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen Brantley, it have you realized that out of your picks five have been single word titled movies <laughs> you know what now that Unless you mention it, it the ticks, uh, if it's just it's ticks cube blade it's just ticks but i I, okay yeah yeah all right Mm -hmm. yeah no i hey i i i simple i own that i get it no i i will i'll take that uh thanks yeah though just a happy coincidence there that uh and you know what hey make it six baby (laughs) because my ninth round selection is candy man oh man so there you go. That's six of my uh, nine so far that are one-word titles. Uh, because I'm fairly certain Candyman's yeah. one word. Yeah, right? yeah one word for it's sure. W- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not uh, like Spider-Man. Uh, it, and again, another movie. I'm, no hyphen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no hyphen or anything. Uh, and another, a, a fourth title that I've also drafted in a previous draft. Because in our... Uh, um, uh boy i'm blanking on it adaptations yeah the, right was right. that the name of it nick the the horror adaptations yes i drafted it uh there That's as a great well. choice for that too. uh yeah. so there you go yeah yeah and i'm just repeating myself over and over <laughs> and over again on this podcast as we're very quickly learning See, this is the one it, uh I'm but as, it took this long to get the candy man i am was, too kind of same here yeah pick. yeah yeah I mean, I'll cut myself some slack because it's the eighth and ninth round that I'm taking a couple more that I've already drafted before. <laughs> like, I felt like I let them stay out there long enough that anybody else could have grabbed them if they wanted to, and and I'll happily grab them here at the end. Uh, but yeah, no, Candyman, fantastic. Uh, I don't want to repeat myself in things I've said before, but you know, I think it's fairly well done for a story uh, and a horror movie that is you know in a problematic sense told through a white lens by like a white screenwriter and white director and everything and that has of course a white main character but is very much about like a black community and things like that so there are certainly problematic aspects to it and i don't want to just gloss over that but i think that it for the most part is a really fantastic film um even with those problematic aspects essentially and tony todd i mean just unbelievable unbelievable uh, to, actor period but really embodies to, to that just character like, so just, well i feel like it was like an uh it was like an instant horror icon yeah i feel like like he was mm-hmm. being placed up there alongside like 
you know the the genre's like most iconic villains like immediately first movie uh because how effective he is yeah Yeah. and just some of the like most striking visuals of like all the bees coming out of him his mouth it it's so yeah chilling really even even outside of like its Mm -hmm. gore and effects just like the set design of uh cabrini green when they're going through it the first time taking yep. photos, like it is mesmerizing the way that is all shot and equally sad and terrifying and scary. And then to cap it off with that wonderful mm-hmm. pull out and you see the mural on the wall. That is like one of the most memorable images in horror to me is her like framed there down inside of his mouth. Like it's really, really striking. Yeah. Yeah, and a great performance by Virginia Madsen, too. I don't mean to skip over her. Um, she did fantastic uh, and um, plays the role, like, really well. And you just, you you want to yell at her, like, stop. You're just going to get yourself killed, basically. But at the same time, you kind of understand why she's, like, driven to the point to, to continue, um, you know, exploring and going after and, and getting to the bottom of it. So, um Yes, I and and in a, 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 a film that is dealing with um, a lot of the same things that you know the newer film was getting credit for, and I think I mentioned it, Nick, um, on one of our episodes, probably that one, where you know, like when the new one was going to be coming out, people were like, oh yeah, it's great, it's going to be tackling like gerrymandering, and not, um, gentrification, and you know, et cetera. And I'm like, right. have you seen yeah. the first <laughs> film? Because like that's exactly what the first film's also yeah. about. And, and it's like, handling that all in yeah. a very impressively, like deftly handled way. Uh, I think again, yes. I, you know, uh, I understand too. Yeah, who know? It's white director, like you said, white white writer, uh, white main character. But like, yes. I, I, the way I think that it's it's done it feels like it is is handled in a way that was it's purpose it's saying a lot without doing too much uh there's that scene yeah. early on it's not as front and yeah. center as the newer there's film. The scene early yeah. on where she is uh you know she's interviewing people about candy man and the the or she's sitting in the classroom working alone and the the, the janitorial staff comes in the clean and just the fact that the casting of those two of the janitorial staff it like is saying a whole lot without the movie drawing like it's focused to it mm-hmm. but it's it's one of those details of the movie that like is you know essential to what the movie is talking about and uh and talks about effectively despite like you know not being i guess not overblowing it yes yeah i agree 100 percent uh yeah so that was my ninth round pick nick you are now up in the uh, ninth round you got two more I choices my last make them count so this one is between it's a bold statement to assume it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be on the board, board in the time <laughs> i promise you um <laughs> the yeah so this is between two movies that i've i will fully admit i've only seen one time um but they left a big impression, and I just haven't gotten around to seeing them again. There's too much to watch. Um, but uh, one of them I saw more recently, and I'm going to go with the one I saw back in high school. It really did leave an impression. I'm still thinking about it. I just haven't gotten around to watching it again. Um, might not be horror. It's Danny Boyle's early movie, Shallow Grave. Um, an early Ewan McGregor list, movie. So you got you got a vote oh, for wow. me. Okay. Anyways. I was about to look it up to see oh, like man. how it's really classified. I'd say it's more thriller from what I remember. Um, yes. It's not supernatural and like, but 
You know what? The reason I saw it was because it was in a uh, this book of 999 horror films that I have. And it was like, the you know, um, that's what made me mm. watch it. Um, and I think Danny Boyle. I don't know anything about it, but that's enough for me. Yeah. If that book signs off, then I do yeah, it's in, yeah, exactly. It's in that book. And, you know, yeah. train spotting's <laughs> in that book, too, to be fair. Um, but they have elements of horror, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's. Uh, I'd, I'd allow that, yeah. Train spotting, yeah. So that's good to know. I would allow a train spotting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no, um, I would not vote for that, but uh, so it would come down to rock paper scissors. I I <laughs> I it's I think I've only seen Shallow Grave once, but I do remember specifically a shot of Christopher Eccleston in it being so fucking creepy that yeah that I, that's why I had it. It's on it's on the bottom <laughs> of my reserve. Like honestly, I did not think you guys were going to be picking some of the movies that you were picking, wow. but uh, yeah, I, I oh. totally agree. It has such a great, uh, terrifying atmosphere that it, it's, you know, you guys are friends. Me and Greg are friends, but you know, we're through the internet. It's a little different, but it does come down to. You know, if you're upset with your friend, if someone you live with, like, if, if arguments got heated, who knows what could happen. Right, right. Yeah. There's, like, that's one of those movies that, like, I mean, you should speak about it. I mean, it's a bit, again, it's, it's like, it's been rough, but there are images in that movie that kind of stick with me that I remember 20 years later. So, mm-hmm. um, it seemed, like, appropriate to pick. Nice. Excellent choice. Uh, well, then, Murph, you're oh up with your ninth gosh. round choice here. Uh, so I'm going to go with one that I I really loved upon first watching and uh, spun that DVD quite a few times. September 10th, 1999. Uh, David Kipp directed Kevin Bacon in Stir of Echoes. And it is such a chilling tale of madness and obsession. And it, it has a lot of great aspects of, of hauntings. And there's parts where Kevin Bacon has part of a song stuck in his head. Because that's the song that was playing as the, the girl was being murdered. And he can't remember exactly what song it is. Like, and he knows what it is. Uh, he digs up his whole backyard. And it's just... It's so great. He has so many amazing freakout scenes. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but it is it is quite chilling. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I- yeah, I was gonna say that one I've seen I haven't it. seen it for since probably uh, yeah, it, it came it out. It has yeah. probably the first time I heard "Paint It Black," and it's it's some cover <laughs> uh, that is the song that's being played when the the girl's being murdered. There's also just uh, "Burned in My Brain" as she's being attacked. She uh, grabs the floor, and you know fingernails pop back. And yeah, just that's always it, awful. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's real great. There's a lot of uh, fun haunting ghost story things about it. Is there? Okay, I have like one, and I could be conflating this with another movie, but um, 
doesn't mean it, but like the scene with Kevin Bacon in a bathroom mirror, that gets kind of gross. I think it involves teeth. Am I making that up? No, that yeah, that's part of the movie. Is like yeah, he like picks off his teeth. Okay, uh, yeah, I remember like thing, but that, that visual. Then it's just yeah, cool. Uh, part of the hallucination of it. Yeah, right. A lot of great imagery. Again, he gets obsessed. Like he knows he has to dig to find a body or some point, and he just he fills his fridge with orange juice, and it, it's just another uh, you know point of obsession of okay i need to do everything to the extreme and just there it is and of course spawned the memorable sequel stir of echoes 2 that i'm sure we've all seen with rob lowe yes <laughs> it's uh if, if only i could pick that one you know <laughs> yeah, right that's right didn't make didn't quite but make i'm it gonna have i'm gonna have to settle for the first the original <laughs> Well, that is a great pick. I'm sorry I can't speak on it at all, but uh, Greg, you are now up with your ninth round selection, then the back-to-back with your final pick of the tenth oh, round. Uh, the pressure is really on to make these last two good ones uh, mm-hmm. with what I got left. Um, I have one. I've danced around it, even though it's been on my list since I first made it, but I this one I kind of put on the back because I didn't think it was going to be picked by anybody here. And uh, I, I was right, but I am going to go with Predator 2 from 1990. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, nice. I just would be remiss if I did not bring this up. This is a movie where I can fully recognize that it is shaky, got its problems, is quite shaggy, but it's something that is so entertaining to me on some sort of weird base level. Mm. I know it's an inferior sequel to an absolute all-time banger classic and it gets it wrong as a sequel (laughs) but somehow it still works as just again i love 90s maximalism and this is the beginning of the decade and already it's like nailed the insanity that the decade would go on to like you know kind of and my my brain be defined for sometimes like this this excess this excess where it's set Mm. in a near future los angeles i think 1996 where global warming has rendered the city uh, unlivably hot, which is a science fiction fantasy I'm, you know, I cannot relate to in any kind of way. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's got the funniest view of Los Angeles, and, and for, this is like from somebody who, who lives here. Like, it is just exaggerated to uh, to a. It's exaggerated. It's crazy. It's over the top but not that unbelievable for Los Angeles. Like the way it jokes around and satirizes the city um, with like, you know, uh, these insane people on the subway going around to arrest the, the, the not even really much known about LA Metro, you know, that I, I write occasionally. It, it kind of nails the vibe of that. Um, you know, when the predator jumps, like rips through the ceiling and starts killing random passengers. Like it's, not too far off from some things you see out here. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just got a very funny vibe. And I think, I mean, it was interesting talking about Blade as an early comic book movie. This is one that almost fits that bill, but I think more in just the aesthetics. Mm. It's very colorful and, and like, you know, it has this odd choice in its visuals. Yeah, I remember it a ends lot up of purples, feeling, yellow, yes, kind of... Absolutely, yeah. It, it's got, like, a 90s, like... Like, you know, as a comic book fan, I love a lot of early Dark Horse comics, and it's got an early Dark Horse comic 
feel to it and it may actually have come out after a predator 2 comic book with essentially the same plot but slight differences like or predator like uh city you know it's was it like concrete jungle or something so it's got a lot of ties to comic books i i find and it's it's feel mm. and its origins and like um it establishes the predator as like this character with like more lore than you'd expect and it expands on his technology and his abilities and their world uh, in a way i find very fun and since then the predator franchise has consistently like failed to live up to <laughs> hey um, fingers crossed baby but, <laughs> yeah hopefully for prey prey i i have faith in prey yeah i will i love uh, dan yeah. bird same here i think he's a he's a talent so like i got a uh, i got hope for that i just wish it was coming out in theaters since yeah. it's bummer it's not um but yeah. it's, a, it's a solid idea and it's like again this is something that was hinted at i mean it's kind of hinted at in the first movie but uh this this film has a great moment establishing how long predators have been around and expanding their backstory a little bit which is maybe ruins the mystery for a lot of people but for me like really kind of like sets up fun places for this franchise um it's got danny glover in the lead role playing like he he's just it's again this is the beginning of the 90s right probably shot late 80s and it just like has all of the uh exact it's the exact perfect vibe from 80s action films carrying over into the 90s but just with the predator in the same way that the first predator was like taking these like jungle action military movies and like adding a sci-fi element this is taking a hard-boiled cop movie and adding an alien for him to fight too so it works as a genre mashup the same way the first one did i think and it's got a lot of bizarre choices in its world like every gun has a massive scope on it these little handguns with like rifle scopes it's such a funny visual uh (laughs) It's got Bill Paxton. You've really convinced you know, me. I need to rewatch a Predator this. film. Yeah, nice. Bill Paxton, Gary Busey, <laughs> Same here, uh, Maria Conchita Alonso. Like, it's got offensive Jamaican stereotypes. I don't know if that's a positive for anybody, <laughs> but they're in there, and it's very, very nineties. Um, uh, it's crazy. Is that it's like, a, like a, the last a box you can check? Like when you're looking? Uh, yeah, absolutely. For me, yeah, when I'm watching a movie, that's something I'm always looking for. Um, it's got uh it, it is the last breath like it is the last coke addled breath of the 80s i think for me like uh Ooh. this franchise that was made big in the 80s like you know kind of a make having its foothold in the next decade so uh it's a movie i really enjoy but i know some people may not <laughs> care much about uh danny glover calls a predator a pussy face in it that's something that happens <laughs> and it delights me every single time <laughs> like yeah it's out of its mind yeah i don't know when you take the subtext right out of it (laughs) that's a good point yeah it does not have the subtext of the first the deep sub deep rips rich subtext of predator right (laughs) all right greg well you've convinced us all to rewatch predator 2 but now it's time for your final pick of this draft the first pick of the time yeah this is a really hard one um I I think I'm going to go again in my argument for 90s maximalism. I'm going to keep saying it cuz I, I it's a thing I truly subscribe to and think was something I love with the decade, but I'm going to pick Cape Fear, Martin Scorsese's remake oh. of the classic film uh starring Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, Jessica Lange, Juliette Lewis, Murph's least favorite actress apparently. <laughs> It's crazy. I love Juliette Lewis. I think she's incredible. So, 
That's that's shocking to me. But, okay, um, best role. This movie's a big reason besides why. the other sister. I'd probably Cape Fear. Okay, probably Cape Fear. Uh, also, fantastic in Strange Days. <laughs> um, another movie that you could maybe argue is parts horror at times. Um, and I should have, which I had thought of it much earlier. It may have had a place on my list, but that's a big argument. Yeah. This gets directly to my my concept of of nineties being the thriller decade like yes. this goes right hand in hand with it nothing yeah. supernatural it's just a man right who's well an hey asshole. we'll argue about that i mean do you consider like biblical things supernatural because like you mean fairy i mean tales? the conceit of the movie is is that yeah exactly see supernatural yeah uh but that is the conceit of the film is that de niro is playing a demonic character like you know testing nick nolte sent by some greater power to punish him to remind him of where he, you know the person he really is deep down and tear away these like illusions and delusions he had about his yuppie lifestyle uh i think it's like a perfectly 90s movie in the, the world it's depicting of like 90s like you know uh getting at the at the justice system and these like you know this institution you think of as uh that's you know that you think of as like ideally and platonically moral and just uh and revealing like you know the type of people that actually work in it um and what they do and the links they'll you know the links that you could push a person um and then talking about retribution like what is what would be justice for max katie de niro's max katie and it is like one of those performances that uh it's the maximalism i'm talking about de niro's accent is fucking crazy in that movie uh he is doing a southern accent that like i i don't think i'm offended you know yeah it's that level of like a nearly <laughs> offensive like take on a on a southern accent but even with that like he is a truly chilling character and that it's interesting that that does get i feel like that's true that it gets more lumped into thrillers but like the scenes where he i mean you see the lengths he goes to to punish Nick Nolte and the things he does, they do not shy away from the horror of those scenes and the the things that the actresses have to do. It, it is really something to, like, uh, you know, that movie should, I like guess, should say if people are going to be watching it. Like, it's it, it's it's very intense and um, is dealing with really heavy subjects and heavy, heavy themes about, like, sexual assault. And so it, it, it does not, like, sugarcoat that stuff. At the same time, it's this weirdly, really big movie with crazy big actors and this, like, you know, wonderful take on the classic Bernard Herrmann score that is very haunting and iconic. And uh, it also led to a wonderful Simpsons episode, probably the best. I, I was series, about to say, Sideshow Bob. Series. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And as that, that lasting legacy of, of The Simpsons, uh, going with it too. But I rewatched this just the other day and was like, I knew I liked this movie, but was shocked by how uh, genuinely upsetting it is and, and the place it gets to. Uh, um, director? Did, did we discuss that? Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a great thing because like, Scorsese obviously was a big name, but this is like a massive budget for him and really, really well big established stars. You know, I mean, obviously he works with De Niro all the time, but like Nick Nolte was like a hot leading man and so uh and it's an interesting role for him too i love mcnulty i think he's he was a really 
he was on a great run around this point was making some interesting stuff and it's a it's a weird role for him to see uppy you know he's played like tough guys in the past and more like i would say like typical like you know uh like leading man types but this is a character that is revealed to be so like duplicitous and and low right and but just puts on these airs of like 90s high society uh that you you see how false and fake it all is marty is doing it 30 years even before the pros like spielberg and west side story uh nightmare alley (laughs) del toro even gus van sant psycho it's a remake of a of a movie it's got it's it's a remake that does a fun thing of casting the original stars in really fun roles in cape fear the remake robert mitchum and gregory peck have both have wonderful parts in that uh um almost said don johnson that's not it joe don baker joe don baker playing just like the epitome of 90s sleazy private investigator multiple times on camera mm-hmm. is guzzling pepto-abysmal and whiskey mixed together in the same glass just like don't them in and like swizzling it like it's it's like it's nothing it is such a sight to behold it's almost like it's so reverential to those older noir films that it is like almost a parody of them at times uh, with like how slavish he is to recreating that feel but then it it takes the emotions of it and like the the harshness of like the horror aspect and, and does not hold back uh yeah cape fear i'm ashamed nice. of it i've never yeah, actually seen pick. cape fear I've, I've, yeah i know i have to <laughs> it's a trip and it's like it's interesting that it made my because like i'm i'm not it's not my favorite scorsese movie by far but it is like a really interesting thing and it does kind of stick out in his filmography although it's like if you like martin scorsese and uh it's got all that classic catholic imagery and biblical stuff going on that he's he he peppers into every single film and does so well and it's like de niro you know um obviously he he's given a lot of great performances for scorsese but this is one where he is really allowed to like be as terrifying as possible and there's a scene with julie he has in the middle of the movie with juliette lewis that is one of the most harrowing scenes and again lots of upsetting stuff in that movie so just a it's just a warning that it's it does not like pull any punches really i have to yeah i'll have to check that out like soon yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's been ages since i've seen it i really loved it when i first saw it um and i uh i should probably rewatch it as well yeah uh well greg that was your last yeah. pick we're gonna now go to murph for his final pick of the draft you know i i had my initial list and only one has been stolen by someone i'm not too <laughs> happy with uh but I, I, there's so many other options. I'm, I'm surprised. I guess th- there's mm-hmm. a lot of big things out there, uh, and I'm gonna kind of go with the smaller one that just that snuck in my original number nine. It is a uh, author that I, I do really love. It is a director that that's had a couple pretty good movies. Tom Holland did Fright Night and Child's Play. But in October uh, 1996, he re- they released Thinner, originally by Stephen King. Yes. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, yep. To me, it is really Robert John Burke's performance that, that carries it. It's a kind of comical fat suit to begin with, 
but he really captures something about uh the as we've been talking about the 90 like the maximum of of excess of this guy who is basically eating himself to death and then uh is granted kind of a a cure-all but it it goes bad um slim fast was like a big thing i feel like dieting was the the hit craze of the 90s and it kind of incorporates that a lot of body image stuff it has a very chilling ending to it um i i I don't know anybody are you guys uh remember this one are you fans i remember when it came out i've never seen it uh, yeah it's the thing i know of and like i recently because of the uh with girly and rust podcast went on a huge stephen king bent and read and watched a lot of stuff and that was when it slipped by me uh you know because i i followed along with their like their picks or their their spring king fling but then i i was doing a bunch of other ones on the side and that's one that's been on the list forever i'm gonna be watching it soon yeah big stephen king fan so like i have been interested in it just not gotten to it yet mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I saw it ages ago. I just haven't seen it in forever, so I don't even remember the how it uh, ends. The, even. the main thing I know about it, <laughs> the main thing I've heard is just like its depiction of Romani people and yeah, you know, for that to, that's, yeah, that's, I'm gonna say Romani curses, yeah. whatever that's that stuff that aspect. What yeah. I was about to say, it it leans into <laughs> yeah. that trope of of uh, the gypsies, and but it it kind of pulls it off to to a degree that it's not necessarily uh well i mean it is it is very problematic i'm sure but it (laughs) it feels earned in that it is it is justified to a degree and that like he there is a transgression and he should pay for it and ultimately it's about him trying to everyone that tries to cover it up uh gets the curse that you know should be you know of the thing that they almost desire most like him he's a big fat guy and you know he's wants to be thin but he can't help himself it also has a really fun performance by uh, joe montagna you know fat tony oh wow bringing hey. another into the simpsons oh yeah so <laughs> now you've hooked me mm-hmm. in joe montagna yeah he put <laughs> i can overlook a little well <laughs> i can overlook some some other aspects of the movie uh, but now. he does play like an overly offensive italian gangster guy oh okay great <laughs> mm. i'm glad they didn't keep it to this one oh no, no. <laughs> one national one type of person yeah. there's a lot of wasp talk if i remember correctly so yeah uh but it uh yeah i i think the ending has has one of the finer like kind of points on the stephen king movies like a lot of them like the mist i think is probably the high mark of it 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 ends to a degree where you're satisfied and it's not dragged out or kind of bizarre i think this is another one that you feel uh, completely almost broken again like the mist it's it's a very kind of downer ending but you, you feel um it feels complete it feels encapsulated in what it is yeah i i feel like stephen king endings work best when they're the the downer endings like you know when he is just leading into being mean in his stories i think is when you have the stronger endings 
Right, I was gonna say, or, or then rewrite them that, that way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Tom Holland talking. Right? This yeah. uh, I also wrote down. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Wrote the Psycho out of the 90s. Two. That's mm. right. Yeah. He did. Which is like fantastic yeah. film. Yeah. And uh, Cloak and Dagger, and I, did he direct Cloak and Dagger as well? I'm trying to remember. Um, I can't recall. Anyway, sorry, weird tangent. Uh, but Murph, that completes your draft. But Nick, you still have your tenth round selection. Did somebody no, no, take no, what no. you were hoping to grab? No, this here? is the one that I no. <laughs> uh, alluded to way back on our last episode mm-hmm. when someone was talking about Blair Witch Project. <laughs> um, I uh, this is the reason that I asked about um, made-for-TV films. Uh, this pick. Um, mm. it's a film from 1992 not a miniseries so that's it's like a sleek 90 minutes another reason why I thought maybe it would count uh, it's called Ghost Watch it was it's a BBC show um, it is I actually believe that the uh, the two Blair Witch directors cited it as one of their biggest influences it is a um, in a lot of ways I think Blair Witch owes a lot to it it was broadcast on bbc on halloween night 1992 um it the it's presented as an invest like a special um investigation sort of like a special news report of um like an alleged haunting um in this neighborhood um it's the same i believe it's the same haunt it's loosely based on the same like haunting that um uh oh man what's the the why can't I even think of the name of the James Wan series right now? Um, Conjuring. Oh, yeah, Conjuring. thank you. The second the Conjuring, Conjuring movie. I believe it's that same that same case. Um, very loosely oh, wow. based on it, but um, oh, uh, okay. loosely enough that people viewing it didn't. I don't think made that connection because it's presented as like a real live special report that's being. Even though it was filmed earlier, it was not advertised. It was just aired on Halloween night um, as if it was a live special. Um, and the news anchor, um, who like hosts the special on the show is playing himself and was like a regular news anchor. So it had this air of like a legitimate special Uh. report. Um, and, uh, and it's very realistically done in terms of how it bounces back and forth from like the studio to the live reporting. And, um, basically it's, it's, there was no indication that this was not just like an actual live special that was being presented and um people were so upset and scared by it that they got they apparently they got so many like thousands of phone calls that it has never been aired in its entirety since on the bbc um it's been released on like video you can see that it's shutter i think actually got the rights to it so it's like i think you can stream it on shutter i have have a like a region free dvd um it's very well done um, like incredibly well done. It's very realistic in terms like you like I can't imagine watching it if I had turned on that channel and not known like the history of it beforehand. I would have been terrified. It's creepy. Yeah. This makes me this makes me think. Did Orson Welles pioneer found footage with War of the Worlds? Because it sounds like right. A, it's like that. Pretty much. What yeah. Yeah. Maybe did. he did. Yeah. It's exactly, <laughs> right. exactly that. Yeah. Um, and um, and and one of the elements that I like so much about it because I I love supernatural stories, but it it does one of those things that um, 
you know, I think Mike Flanagan did really well on Haunting of Hill House. Um, uh, something I've always really appreciated in horror movies is when, um, you know, in, in this case, like the the ghost, the supernatural entity, um, when he appears on screen, it's it's never or very infrequently. Like there's one or two like parts where he's like overtly shown, and the rest he's kind of like in the background for a few frames as the camera kind of swings by. Oh, so wow, it's yeah. one of those things where like if you see it, it's creepy, but if you don't see it, and then you go back and watch it again, you're like, oh my, sh- how did I miss that? That's creepy in itself. Um, and it's 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 gotten such a cult following over the years. And I was just reading about it. There's like eight official sightings of the ghost in the in the in the show, but because of the way that they're presented. Um, and I guess because of the way that it was produced, um, that the director said, like, I think we filmed more. I'm not even sure they might be in there. So there's like, there's like arguments online to this day about, you know, whether there are like little glimpses of like in certain parts of the background. Um, so there's still like, it's got like a pretty, uh, pretty strong cult following. And, um, I found it really chilling. Um, very scary. And, Again, just in terms of its craftsmanship and the idea behind it, incredibly unique and well yeah. done. So I recommend it. This is this sounds incredible. It's got all, all the context behind it. I'm I'm already riveted just yeah. <laughs> on on all that stuff. Like I, I am totally yeah. I'm it's pretty it's sold. a slow burn, but you should definitely check it out. It gets it's, really really creepy. Uh, it reminds me. Have you heard of Without Warning? It was there was a movie in the '80s, but there was a TV movie in the 90s that was like uh, an alien v- invasion oh yeah but yeah, told yeah. as if like it's the news reporting and it it is another like news reporter you know officially kind of guy and then the mom from malcolm in the middle uh i think <laughs> i think philip baker hall yeah. you know uh rest in peace was uh was in it uh but yeah just basically oh aliens are coming and oh maybe we tried to nuke them too soon and they're pissed off at us so (laughs) yeah Yeah. if you have shutters stream it it's great cool great excellent picnic uh all right so to wrap up the draft i am on the board uh i'm tempted to take something like arachnophobia or leprechaun or popcorn just because they're one word (laughs) titles but uh (laughs) i'm i'm actually going to take uh event horizon with the uh final pick here it's the Uh, last pick wow i was very surprised this 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 wasn't taken by anyone else either in my my, you know and my watches yeah i've not seen this i you know i'm a i'm a you I haven't not, seen you know, it I, I tend to be pretty forgiving of of yeah sam neil and i like yeah, paul i anderson. like paul ws anderson uh yeah i think he's an interesting yep. guy and i i generally have a good time with his movies so yeah i'm shocked i have not yet uh checked this out even though I, I, it's infamous yeah, i'd argue this is his best yeah, film that's, it's, his best film <laughs> people say to me and yeah. they're incorrect when they say this people say that it's this one good movie uh when I, I don't understand how they could say that when avp exists you know which <laughs> just <laughs> a staple of my childhood a- avp yeah and uh mortal Kombat. Kombat, yeah you know? uh, yeah i wouldn't say it's his only yeah, good one, is, is but fine. yeah mortal i mean Kombat's definitely his so best yeah. i think yeah yeah event horizon is great it's a real like cosmic horror cosmic dread sort of uh one um and i think it is um 
saved or at least it's helped the film that they didn't show nearly as much as what they shot i mean that's like sort of one of the infamous stories that supposedly they shot all these scenes where they're like staring into the you know hell essentially where they this alternate dimension i believe is what it was where you know all these like horrific things are happening and that those are somewhere in like a salt mine uh storage shot, film facility or something and, special edition they were talking about like having a work print vhs that they were going to salvage that from they didn't but yeah i'm 100 oh, sure they were shot yeah yeah Oh, I'm I'm sure they were shot too, but like yeah. they've never been able to like find them or like never find them in where the film is um has lasted enough, which is crazy because that movies from the mid '90s like film is incredibly yeah. durable. So they must have yeah. kept I mean, it in like really shitty conditions. You know, there's just some like um, basement that it's just sitting underneath a pile of pornography or something. Yeah. Like it's just that's the <laughs> only thing that's preventing us from seeing it. Well, those scenes were actually described as I think they're they're yeah. called, what are they called? There's like a nickname for them, and it has porn in them, like oh, wow. colloquially or whatever. Like oh. the crew called it, yeah, something along those lines. It's like gore Not porn, like torture yeah. porn before that coin, yeah. term was gore porn, something like that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, and um, I I think it it the, this film showing less makes it scarier in a lot of ways, like a lot of horror does, where you know you, you see the monster too much and it's it's not as scary as what your imagination is going to conjure up if you're only given uh, either no images of it or very limited images of it. And, uh, and Event Horizon uh, really benefits from that lack of showing, basically, and letting your imagination run wild. And it's the type of, like, truly uh, terrifying, like, cosmic dread where it's like, you realize there's, there's essentially just, like, no escape, really. <laughs> You know, if if you're being taken over to the point where you're going to gouge your own eyes out, but still feel like you can now now see for real, you know, it's like, oh, this is, you know, this you is know, really it, terrifying. It makes me think it might be one of the ones that does the, the aspect of space travel as horrifying the most. Like, if I'm remembering, it's the one mm. that there's some, like, kind of little mousy guy, he... It's possessed and then he's in an airlock thing and it's him and, and Lawrence Fishburne is like trying yeah. to get to him in time mm-hmm. and it really kind of goes into mm-hmm. how like scary and horrifying it is like it's you are seconds milliseconds from death like being out there in in space mm-hmm. I don't feel like a lot of not even alien does it as well to to really put that fear inside of 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 us it's a it was a creepy i watched it because i will fully admit i watched it because i i read in several places and heard too many times from from friends that it's it's been described as the shining in space like a million times and i was like okay well i can't ignore that and then I watched it. and I was like, "This is not The Shining in Space." Um, and, but you know, as a movie, it's it's actually. I was like, found it. It wasn't what I expected, but I found it to be surprisingly good. Um, it's very creepy. Definitely Paul mm-hmm. Paul Anderson's probably strongest film. Um, that is a good. That is a good hook, though. Got you to watch. Oh, totally! Shining like, what a space. great description. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I Sam can Neil. just imagine yeah. Anderson like whispering to Fishburne, like, "Be like Scatman Crothers." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, just, that's a good pick. I'm honestly, I'm surprised that was the oh. last pick. As am I. Yeah. Uh, 
All right, well, to recap our draft, I'm going to go through uh, everybody's selections for all 10 rounds. We're going to start with our guest, Greg. Uh, in the first round, you took Son Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. You followed sorry, that I'm sorry, after. I'm still salty about it. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. A little angry. I've done my job then. I, In my mind, I win the draft with that. Yeah. Uh, in the third round, you took Barton Fink. In the fourth, Army of Darkness. In the fifth, Cemetery Man. In the sixth, Mars Attacks. Uh, Henry Porch of a Serial Killer in the seventh. Castle Freak in the 8th, Predator 2 in the ninth, and then Cape Fear in the 10th. Murph, uh, in the first round, you took the Blair Witch Project. You took 7 in the 2nd, From Dusk Till Dawn in the 3rd, Child's Play 2 in the 4th round, Gremlins 2, the new batch in the 5th. In the 6th round, you took the Sixth Sense. In the 7th round, you took Death Becomes Her. You followed that up with The Addams Family in the 8th, Stir of Echoes in the ninth, and then Thinner at the end in the 10th. Um, Nick, in the first round, you took Silence of the Lambs. In the second, you took Misery. And then you took Dead Alive in the third. The Faculty in the fourth. The Frighteners in the fifth. In the Mouth of Madness in the sixth. Wes Craven's New Nightmare in the seventh. Ring You in the eighth. Shallow Grave in the ninth. And then Ghost Watch in the tenth. Uh, I took Scream, Tremors, Idle Hands, Halloween H2O, Bride of Chucky, Blade, Cube, Ticks, Candyman and Event Horizon, uh, really mastering those single word titles. Uh, I'm a little shocked that the only series, the only franchise that had two of its uh, films <laughs> yeah. drafted is the Child's Play franchise. I, I think it's it's, it's the I franchise of the '90s, I guess. You know, <laughs> I guess so. I I so would have assumed I'm, Scream I'm, Two would have been drafted before uh, two. Yeah, you that know, was all my, I had right. Scream Two. I had Scream 2 higher uh, oh. on my list than... I, I knew Scream was going to get picked. I didn't even have it on my yeah. list. That's like, maybe if I'm the first one to go, then maybe I'll take Scream because I didn't know it's an easy grab. And I, or it's going to it's gonna get yep. taken. But I had... So I actually had Scream 2 pretty high. I do really, really enjoy Scream 2. I've said probably erroneously. Mm-hmm. I think if I rewatch them again, I would change my mind. But I've said at one point, probably to Murph, and he probably got mad at me, uh, that I preferred Scream 2 to Scream. Um, I don't think I do. Oh. I think it does cer- certain aspects really, really, really well. And uh, I absolutely mm-hmm. adore Timothy Oliphant. And so, like, I think that those are maybe are overshadowing my judgment. He's so my good, judgment. <laughs> but it's not set up as yeah. well as, as Lillard and Ulrich. It's really not. He's yeah. in, like, three I, I think scenes. I was going to say this was Scream. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I was going to say this was Scream, and I, I kind of forgot. But, like, I think those sequels sort of suffer from rewrites and things like that each one of them you can kind of feel this was different and then they're so secretive about their twists that you know if something leaks out they change everything and some of those last minute changes like still feel like last minute changes in the way those plots don't sometimes fully you know shake out as cleanly as they did in the first film uh but i still really love scream Mm -hmm. 2 i think that the whole beginning movie theater sequence is such a good a fun opening and a great way to like yeah you talked about good sequels murph raising the stakes like raising the stakes of that opening scene when you're being murdered surrounded by people like that uh is a weird chilling mm-hmm. thought and it's got you know some really great actors in there um and i i think the final joke uh with timothy oliphant is so funny just by itself like such a great little <laughs> moment 
that really makes me laugh. Uh, so yeah, it, I was I it was mm. high on my list, Murph, but like I think I I had to make way for other I think stuff. That, that opening sequence and then the the police yep. car are two of the best set pieces yeah. in the entire franchise. Oh, the police car, the the button on that scene, yeah. trying to crawl over the unconscious killer. I mean, like, what a fantastic yeah. setup. Just really creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did just want to say the only other one that on my list for Greg that didn't cross off is uh, another De Niro role, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I, I really thought you were going <laughs> to go. Like I knew movie. Bram Stoker. Mm. I love that, that and movie. I was like, that movie oh. is, it, is off its rocker, too. I yeah, it felt like too much with uh, pairing up Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, you know, it, one only exists because of Bram Stoker's. I, and then um, I, I knew I wanted to get a, a Frankenstein-esque thing in there because I, I love Frankenstein, one of my favorite figures in horror. And um, I, I kind of replaced it with Castle Freak. I, I, I think that's like a, a more a weirder, more you know, different take on that same type of character. Uh, I don't know, but I do also love. Yeah, Mary I Shelley's know, Frankenstein. I know. And now I'm talking about movies I didn't even pick or bring up. That's why it was on my <laughs> list. <laughs> but I uh, know. Well, that leads yeah. us right into yeah, the true. undrafted free agents, yeah. which is the next segment anyway. So, yeah, we can talk all about the stuff we didn't draft because that's what this part's about. Yeah. Uh, oh, I. So I mean, yeah, go yeah, for I, it. I, yeah, that movie to me, like, I, I'm a massive, massive fan of the book uh frankenstein and mm. i think that as a, a, a movie that's trying to be a more accurate adaptation it misses the mark in some ways but then it also has the again 90s maximum these insane ideas to highlight certain things in the book that we haven't seen in other versions that's what i love about that movie. um mm. yes exactly like the, the that take on the monster uh and his design are really spectacular yeah. um and De Niro does a oddly haunting job, like you know, uh, bringing it to life. This this creature that like you write off, um, you know, but he manages. I mean, it's all like Cape Fear. This thing from your past that you think is gone that you can sweep under the rug that gains intelligence and power and comes back to haunt you. Um, you it's a great just like Carter sexy role. Doctor Frankenstein. Okay, I know. Oh, let me tell you. No, okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I I am regretting not picking it to talk about it more, but, like, the, the creation scene where he is running shirtless, around that last. Shirtless, so good. Like, yeah. Kenneth Bradnog is running around yep. shirtless, yanking Ripped. on levers to shoot a bunch of electric eels out of a giant ball sack <laughs> on the ceiling. It is out of its fucking mind. It, it, I love it. Yeah, that, I do think, like, Frankenstein, to me, like, it, um, that book is is something that that people don't talk about the aspect of like he's playing god of course but like in the sense of that he's creating life he's also like playing woman in a way or he's like taking trying to take the power of like child rearing and childbirth as part of that story and i think that is one of the only adaptations to really dive into that where he is essentially giving birth and it is like an affront to humanity and to nature you know like nature for a lot of different reasons other than playing god there is like a very sexual aspect to that story and that is the only creation scene like i said with that the imagery in it is is out of this world it's not like a (laughs) it's not an accident he's sweaty with his shirt off and all that you know and yeah it's crazy and a ball sack of Absol- eels yes. that yeah. <laughs> could maybe be considered semen or dropping from the totally. ceiling and yeah, 
creating life. But yeah, fun movie. I just think that like I, I already had my nineties uh horror remake. <laughs> yeah. Classic. A big gothic horror remake with right. Bram Stoker. So yeah. I mean Bram Stoker to me is a movie that yeah. works on like every single level and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is so goofy at the yeah. point where like yeah, you, you really can't take it seriously. Like Bram Stoker still manages to like have this uh really genuine and like heartfelt like sentimentality to it so i'm just realizing that 90s really had like their almost like attempt at a reboot of the universal oh, it was the, yeah it's uh, the, the dark, it's the dark dracula universe. Yeah, and the mummy, universe. Yeah. Yeah. And the mummy that the came mummy out later in the, de- in the decade yeah. Yeah. yeah that's um, one that's good to argue yeah they had like uh, three yeah, that's of an them. undrafted free agent. Yeah. for sure, it was the mummy. Uh, I also had Dark I love Dark in the Universal vein. Uh, I mean, Dark oh, yeah. I didn't like, think that would I, count. That's why I didn't pick it. I, I, totally I wouldn't would. say. I, I think it would count because I think mm. that movie it owes so much to the old Universal Absolutely, yeah. movies, though. And the way that shot mm-hmm. his design is a mixture of Phantom of the Opera yeah. and Invisible yeah. Man. Yeah, and then, then the entire story of this mm-hmm. recluse from society. Again, like Frankenstein, not entered to not able to enter society anymore because of the way he looks, and like just that ostracization that you so associate with a lot of the Universal monsters, um, and then it's all a, a great comic book precursor to Spider Man as it's well. It's like the greatest like, comic book you movie. Could, yeah, it's insane. And, and I yeah, as Sam Raimi has discussed recently, and possibly doing a sequel. Like since he released Doctor Strange, has said like, uh, yeah, my next thing maybe I'll do more oh. Darkman. Maybe yep. I'll go back. I to saw that, that interview, and, and they're talking about I, remaking it as well, I, which is yeah, less which exciting. Is a, I mean, I don't want that. I want yeah. Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand yeah. returning to these roles. Totally, please. Yes, as, as I recall, <laughs> the, the yeah. well, actually, I don't think I ever saw three, but two was a great direct-to-video sequel. Like they did. I mean, wow, not, yeah, like they, I think both of yeah. the direct-to-video sequels were supposed to be pretty decent, but like obviously, the first Darkman yeah. is. I haven't, great. I haven't got into the into those yet, but uh, now I will. Yeah, I, I've never really heard anything about them. Just I just kind of knew they existed. Yeah. My assumption was that they weren't good. I mean, um, I remember really yeah. enjoying two. <laughs> it made me want. I, 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 I would. It's just been too long. I can't like heartily recommend two because it's been too long. I don't remember. <laughs> of sequels i had a whole alternate list of just sequels from the 90s that i wanted yeah, to throw out real quick <laughs> uh we got maniac cop 2 pet cemetery 2 oh hi oh, oh god pet pet Tremors, yeah trimmers 2 aftershocks oh boy yeah, yeah. the rage carry yep. 2 mm. leprechaun oh 2, yeah mm. oh boy from yeah. dust till dawn 2 texas mm-hmm. blood money troll 2 Adam's Family oh, Values. Wow. That's right. Sometimes they come back again. Mm-hmm. And then, from uh, out of left field... It's not a number two, but... An American Werewolf in Paris. Yeah, that one, I... <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about just going beyond two. So I had Exorcist 3. Yeah, that was... Oh, yeah. Oh, that one I'm, yep. I, I expected to be brought up. Yeah, because... I, and that's one, too, that I feel like has just gotten a lot of really well-deserved attention in the past couple yep. years. And like a nice reevaluation, a nice like alternate version that's a little closer to what like William Peter Blatty like envisioned. Um, and that book, mm-hmm. that, that that book. Well, that's what I was gonna say about it. That movie is like so ponderous and so like you know, that's it, a really it's you can tell that William Peter Blatty who directed it was a novelist because like it, it feels like you're 
it feels like an interesting visual novel the way that's put together you get and the way it's exposition of a murder instead of seeing the murder yes exactly yeah and uh brad duriff who's been yeah. all over this list <laughs> today our list today mm-hmm. uh playing an incredible <laughs> incredible villain in that um just like i don't think he can i don't think brad duriff can deliver a line poorly like everything he says is just <laughs> like fascinating to listen to he's got great explosive energy in exorcist 3 and of course like one of the most infamous jump scares yeah not, like that. you know yeah the most infamous yeah i'll throw in let's see nice. i had a few that i wanted to pick people under the stairs that was the alternate with shallow yeah. grave um that i've only mm. seen once but just left a big impression um I love that movie. It That's really is one. good. I was so blown away by that. Um, when I was, I was kind of when I was going through like first, just like I just tested myself. I was like, it was just a list '90s horror movies you remember first that come to mind, and I tried to like build my first mm-hmm. list out of that before then going and looking up lists and yeah. things like that. But like, I realized that like out of the big like iconic horror directors of the '80s, like Wes Craven maybe had the strongest '90s yeah. of them. Absolutely. Like I talked about, like you know, John Carpenter sort of like you know very very sadly gets his 90s get looked down upon but like carpenter had a whole revitalization and then had scream in the middle and even around scream his his horror movies are all really interesting it, you know i don't love them like like new nightmare but like people under the stairs is like uh uh such an odd movie a really interesting one i love craven because he always is making some sort of like societal yeah. comment and that is one of his most like potent and like I think well executed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's it's. Yeah. I was very surprised. I saw um, a screening at Alamo. Actually, um, it was like a surprise. They did like a Halloween program where they had five movies in in a day, That's and awesome. that was the first one. Thirty five millimeter people on the stairs. I had so much fun with like a packed house. Yeah, great child performance from the lead character. In yes, that. like yeah just i <laughs> he manages to be like this. extremely funny and and like some yeah, yeah. uh being rames oh Everett my god being rames right? gives a performance ever okay. mcgill and wendy robbie from twin peaks yeah so ed and nadine okay. playing a couple yeah. again yeah which is which is a nice little little treat for uh for fans but then being rames plays a really great character okay. and has some incredible lines of dialogue <laughs> um <laughs> and it's like uh, it's a weird movie with a kid protagonist that does not like let up on its horror yep. too like it's got some stuff that is like mm. it's crazy because it almost feels like a kid's adventure film like the goonies uh, yeah. or something because uh, it's like a kid in way over his head in this crazy situation but it's also like bloody and like very upsetting another one kind of like that the witches was also on my short yep. list like nick rowe oh wow yeah um it, that didn't come to mind but what that would have been a really just good the, one the transformation yeah. scene is, is so stunning and the, the you know to be transformed into a mouse is is pretty scary as well yeah um one of my biggest yeah. it, it was taken off my list really late honestly probably at the beginning of the record i was like okay i'm taking this off and replacing it but one of my biggest like free agents is uh alien resurrection which i know is a movie not oh. even fans of the franchise may roll their eyes at like murph is kind of doing right I, now i didn't roll uh, my eyes but, but i'm, I'm pondering <laughs> this is my pondering um, but that is a movie <laughs> i love the director of that movie um i am forgetting blinking on his name right now but i feel like 
his very distinctive visual style. Uh, I love the Alien franchise because like each of those first four movies like feel like they it's a director's franchise. It's like let's take this property, give it to a really interesting director, and see what their idea is for it and what they bring to the table. And his idea is '90s comic book. It feels like it's got that that look to it and that sort of um, attitude. Where uh, again, I was a big Dark Horse comics fan, and they did a, a great Alien series where they had all sorts of fun with like the lore of the Xenomorph and things like that. And so we can do things like let's make an alien human hybrid called the child and because it's the 90s and everything you know is bigger and and uh <laughs> crazier it is this massive extremely well executed practical effect puppet that is really gross to look at and is a disgusting design that is like you know turns your gut for multiple reasons in the way that like hr giger design thing should do um and it's it's got a fucking wacky sense of humor ron perlin playing like a very very big character in that dan hidea again uh <laughs> uh just going really goofy it's like uh, a weird basketball like character but and there's a weird basketball scene sigourney weaver coming back to a franchise she had tried to leave behind like with some sort of grace but coming back with the dumbest excuse uh, <laughs> of her being a clone and now she's also half alien it's 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 crazy uh and speaking of brad duraf another brad mm-hmm. duraf role that he just absolutely kills mm-hmm. um but to me that reason the re- big reason i love that movie is is just it's that point in the 90s where it's like you got early cg in that but for the most part it is just like impeccably made practical effects with the child being the cherry on top just the level of splatter and gore to like you know that to me you really lose in the 2000s when like digital blood mm-hmm. becomes a thing yeah. and like the the you don't have the same type of aesthetics in horror the same type of splatter movie like you know feelings or like tricks being used that they kind of fade after the 90s so alien resurrection like hits a sweet spot to me for that stuff also got, i gotta throw out right. john carpenter's vampires which gets a bad rap but i yeah very I much enjoy I, it yeah there's also a movie called I, uh, I, speaking of vampires too um i was maybe thinking interview with the vampire that's maybe yeah, brought up as well yeah. but like oh. yeah huge mm-hmm. stars right i mean like future stars too and but like uh and then just like you know uh a really sleek style and and like very gothic and yeah very 90s <laughs> definitely I was surprised that there was a bunch of like uh, the post-Scream uh, franchise movies Urban like Legend. I know you did last summer yeah. or Urban Legend right. yeah. uh, that didn't get selected. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, Fallen. And then some of the creature features. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I really enjoyed Denzel Washington, John Goodman, yep. Demon Who Can Pass Through oh, Touch. Mm. Like there's a really fun scene with them sing uh the the demon singing you know time is on my side as it's moving through <laughs> different mm. entities it, it's uh it's quite chilling yeah i remember that scene too that's like the one scene i definitely remember from the movie yeah 
and then there's some creature features that I was surprised like didn't uh, none got drafted. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't try to double dip again with Deep Rising or Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea uh, was on. Uh, was the, was that came to mind for a long time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then like yeah. uh, mm-hmm. other ones like Lake Placid mm-hmm. and like yep. Anaconda. Anaconda was on a short list um, for me. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. Nice. God, that John Voight's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of genuinely, yeah. <laughs> well, the accent work he's doing, yeah. I, I got really close to the uh, one of us was Pet Cemetery too. We just covered that on our podcast, and it was a, it's a very recent watch for mm-hmm. me. But I found that movie to be like delightfully, uh, you know, bizarre and weird, and like just like I don't know. I, I really mm-hmm. dug that one. I should throw up because nice. you picked seven. Um, the uh, Resurrection. Which is uh, Russell McCulley? McCall, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. The guy who directed Highlander. Um, it's a seven. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it's like it has no shame in being a complete seven ripoff, but um, very, very disturbing and and just kind of a cool uh, premise. I don't want to give anything away, but uh, Vinegar Syndrome just re- released it on Blu-ray. It was a movie I never thought I would ever see released beyond vhs and dvd um and i was so happy that they released it so it's available and i recommend it it's really fun watch nice all right uh well if, does anyone have uh, suggestions for reaches or steals I of the draft no my answer I, uh... <laughs> 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 uh, I mean you yeah you had one your first i mean early on you had one for me too with taking seven that was that was on my on my one i mean silence of the lambs i mean like mm. that's that's one i can't you know that was gonna be i was a heavy i was almost gonna be my first pick yeah Nice. I think, I mean, maybe yeah. it only applies to me here, but I, I thought Cemetery Man was a, was a steal. I definitely <laughs> would have picked that, like, very shortly after. Yeah, I'm glad and I, I didn't expect anyone one. to pick and it, so that was a great choice. I I yeah. figured uh, I had at least... I think Gremlins you know? 2 is a great steal yeah, by life as I, well. I mean, that, yeah, that was one I was ready to go with. I figured with. I at least had, like, two rounds before Firewalk with me was going to be pulled out but <laughs> that's why i knew i had to be first yeah. like i was like you gotta start with it yeah uh oh i'm shocked lost yeah. highway didn't come up i, I was maybe gonna i thought about it both uh, lost highway and twin peaks but i figured like i'm gonna stick with one david lynch thing i'm gonna diversify after that so lost highway's could... getting re-released right or just was or is about to be it's yeah, yeah there was a 4k, 4K restoration that like lynch supervised it was just playing in theaters here in la this last weekend i don't know if it's going to be continued i, I, I hope think a couple weeks i want to see it again here so yeah i i saw that cool. uh the, the quentin tarantino owned theater out here new beverly they do revival screenings on film things like that i went and saw it there a couple years ago and as i'm turning to leave my friend balthazar getty himself <laughs> sitting in the back row <laughs> just like you know uh, coming to watch his own movie that was a, was a cool sighting that's awesome oh that's great that's fun I think getting Henry Portrait of Serial Killer on the 7th oh was man and I, I would well. again I don't and at the end of the 7th have, if you had not referenced it in the beginning <laughs> it somehow completely slipped my mind as a 90s film so well it's a weird well we have to have yeah. a criteria for what is or isn't so it's like we we established in the 80s one that we're going by when it was released either theatrically or if it was straight to video to on video and so um 
you know, when it was made is sort of irrelevant if that's our criteria. So I think a lot of people consider that like an 80s film because it was shot in 86, but just exactly, never got yeah. released I mean, until that's, that's January how of 1990. I'm glad that was yeah. up for grabs because it's a, it's a personal favorite. Like it, it definitely has the yeah, 80s it's aesthetic look, uh, just yeah. cine- you know, cinematically. Like, Tremors is made in 89, but it, it to me, that looks like a 90s movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And Henry still looks like a Yeah, I mean... It, yeah, yeah. Oh, no one picked Absolutely. Jacob's Ladder. Uh, sorry, Jacob's right. Ladder was one that I oh, thought sorry, go ahead. he picked, yeah. but wasn't. Yeah. Um, nope. No I one have that one. I have that one on a short list. Um, yeah. Although I've only seen it, I've only seen it a single time, and I think that's maybe why I left it off because it's like it's it's also a complicated yeah. movie, and I don't know if I would be able to like without rewatching it, talk about it in depth. Yeah. No. So, same here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, that wraps up the uh, '90s horror film draft. Uh, Greg Murph, I have to thank you guys so much for coming on and joining us here. Yeah. Uh, being very generous with your oh, time. It's been a pleasure. I, I, so I, much said, time I said to Murph during the break, it's parters. like I'm a dog at a dog park, just being fine, unleashed and run, you know, just run around until <laughs> I'm tired out. So <laughs> it's no problem. Uh, but it's such a huge like time awesome man, and we like truly appreciate it. Thank you. We're we're both yeah. It's been time well yeah, spent. Very yeah, very opinionated. Yeah, really. So we're fine. Just spewing <laughs> that to anyone who will listen. Yeah, that's why we bought. That's why we all gotcha. podcast, right? Just uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of podcasts, we cannot recommend our listeners uh, check out their podcast anymore because it is fantastic. Please check out the weekly podcast massacre. Is there anything else you guys would like to plug before we uh, wrap up the uh, show? I have a Letterboxd account, G Anderson nineteen on Letterboxd. Uh, it's where if you, for some reason, want to, you know, want me to ramble more about about movies and are interested in my takes on stuff, yeah, I. I I'm devoted to Letterboxd. I, I will say, I think Greg is one awesome. of the finer reviewers that I, I have read. Oh. Uh, he <laughs> oh, he is very verbose, Ooh. but he, he makes a lot of wonderful points throughout. Uh, I will just say, uh, no, check out Weekly nice. Podcast Massacre. We talk about horror movies as well uh, with a different theme each month to kind of keep it fresh. And uh, yeah. Yeah, exploring subgenres of horror and Excellent. inventing our own constantly. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much again for joining us. And uh, everybody stay tuned next episode, which is TBD. Uh, we don't know yet. <laughs> you'll, you'll find out as soon as we know. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Take care. The song you heard in this episode is You Are a Monster by Monroeville Music Center. It's being used under a CC... BY Creative Commons license and was accessed from freemusicarchive.org. If you'd like to hear more of Monroeville Music Center, you can find them on Bandcamp, their Facebook page, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Discogs, iHeartRadio, and Deezer. And hey, if you want to reach out and communicate with us, please send an email to horrordraftspod at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram, at Horror Drafts, all one word. We'd love to hear any questions you have for us, suggestions for topics to draft, or ideas for guests, especially if you can put us in touch with them. Thanks, everyone, and we hope to hear from you soon. 
Thank you.